Hey everybody, welcome to Expiration Date. I'm Michelle. And I'm David. And we're going to jump right in today because the whole point of this episode is to give you guys a pretty easily consumable JFK episode. No, and the whole point of this episode is to figure out who killed JFK. The entire point. <laughs> and boy, do we have it. We don't, I'm kidding. But one thing that I, as a person who consumes a lot of JFK content, most of the things that give you a summary of the conspiracy surrounding his death and the theories and everything um, are very long and very complicated and convoluted. What I'm going to do today is I'm just going to give you a brief overview of what people say and why people think there is a conspiracy around his death. So thanks for joining us. We're going to start out by defining a couple of terms, just because I think it's important for people to understand, because I'm going to use some terms in this episode about communism and fascism. And I, I just want to give you some definitions to work with, because I feel like there's a lot of emotion around those words, and mm-hmm. often they are used incorrectly. And so for the purpose of this episode, what we mean by fascism and communism, fascism is a far-right um, authoritarian ideology that is pro-corporate, pro-law and order, pro-elite rule and corporate rule, and then it, it diametrically opposed to communism, which communism is a far-left ideology where working people are the base of power. And I'm not going to get any further into it than that. I don't think it's necessary for this episode. Well, let, let me know where you came up with that definition, too, because it sounds starkly familiar to some other things. I just want to make sure where the definition of fascism and communism came from. One thing that you can find is some of the best resources on finding this stuff is I'm, I'm just I'm kind of condensing down several different things. But I think somebody did the 14 points of fascism article that I think is pretty good that I'll post in the show notes. Um, I wanted to talk about that because we're going to talk about some big major themes before we get into the um, meat of this episode. So some vocabulary that I've learned since our last episode when talking about the CIA, I should probably use the term deep state. And what I mean by that in the most simple way that I can say it is the powers that be in America that control military intelligence such as it is now are rich, wealthy people control much of what we're talking about and... um, the wealth that the CIA is designed to protect. Basically, you can think of them as fancy cops that have a lot more money and a lot more power. So the CIA, the organization itself, as we have talked about in previous episodes, was founded to combat communism more than it was fascism. So it's 1960. JFK has been elected. The CIA basically is everywhere. Um, they have huge operations in Europe where they make sure their whole the operation Gladio is what it's called. Their whole point was to make sure that no left leaning or communistic tendencies took root in Europe. And they did this all over the world as well. At the time, this was also not known. Uh, we found this stuff out later. So basically the CIA is everywhere. After World War II, they absorbed much of the wealth and power and actual people 
that were in the fascist governments of Italy and Germany and people that committed war crimes were also absorbed into the CIA. And this is all, this is not, what I'm saying here is not controversial. This is not a conspiracy theory. Okay, so CIA is everywhere, super powerful, and kind of has formed their own secret government, where we talked about last time where they're taking out uh, democratically elected leaders. Guatemala was the example we used last time, but just so you know, that was one of hundreds of examples I could have used. I just picked it because it was kind of their first solo project. Um, they had done the same thing in Iran the year before, working with MI6 uh, and British Petroleum. And so CIA is everywhere, extremely powerful. Alan Dulles is the head of the CIA, as we talked about last episode. He's extremely powerful. And the two previous administrations that had dealt with the CIA really did let them grow in power and influence. And the CIA is used to the president doing what they say at, in 1960. And I want to say something before we get going into this. I want to talk about what a conspiracy theory is and why they're so popular in America. And I think that a lot of that is because America thinks of itself as a developed, rich nation, which we are in a lot of ways. But over the last 40 years, you could make a decent argument that public edu education that was never that great in America anyway has really been gutted. So people that are undereducated and are not very literate when it comes to information are susceptible and vulnerable to conspiracy theories. And so you'll see things like the QAnon movement, where we will see people become obsessed with that. And the organizations like the CIA have a vested interest in keeping those going. Because if you say things like, the CIA killed JFK, people look at you like you're a QAnon mm -hmm. person. Or we see how Jeffrey Epstein, which was not a conspiracy theory, he truly did have a child sex ring that he ran and used that information to manipulate politicians and worked for military intelligence. Worked, You'll see things, worked for military intelligence? He did. Uh, I think when he was arrested in 2000. Eight or whenever he was originally arrested, I can't remember when it was. Um, but the reason he got such a sweetheart deal is because his lawyers said he works for intelligence and he was protected by the state. So even though he was committing these allegedly committing these atrocities mm -hmm. of child sex rings, he was let go as a result of that. Yes. Well, his 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 plea deal that he took, where he served very little time, didn't interfere with his life much at all, and he went on to continue his child sex trafficking ring until he got arrested in 2019 or whatever year it was. Good Lord. Um, and then subsequently either killed himself or was killed in prison. Hmm. And it's this, I mean, it's, so you see things like that, but then QAnon has Pizzagate, which is where politicians are like eating children in the basement. Not politicians, Democrats. Democrats, so right, sorry. I think it was specifically Hillary Clinton. And probably so. Which I have a lot of beef with Hillary Clinton, but that isn't one of them. Is it beef or is it like human? It, you know, that is a solid point. <laughs> no, it's, uh, but it's so. Ludicrous? Well, yeah. let, me, let me just say like, you mentioned about the education system being gutted and how that lends towards conspiracy theorists. And we've kind of noticed how there's been this big withdrawal of a lot of support for public education, which is the majority of what people have access to. And so this is another example of how there will be quality education available out there at a cost. Yes. And so this is that whole marginalization. As, as the more public 
population grows larger mm -hmm. and has less access to education, and then you have all these greater masses of people who lean towards these conspiracy theories. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so, and since they take up a lot of people's time and energy, they're also very marketable and they do a lot of publicity washing for the state. And so, cause you'll see people like, Oh, so when you flood it with a whole bunch of crazy shit, the stuff that's real that comes through can easily be played off as something as else. Something that's something crazy. that's in the crazy shit. Yeah, exactly. And so people will say like, I don't believe in any of that Pizzagate Epstein stuff. And it's like, well, one of them is fake and one of them is not. And right. so it's, but the state, the military intelligence has a vested interest in keeping things like that going. So I'm going to give you, we're going to shift gears again. So now we kind of know where the CIA is. And I'm going to just give you a brief overview of the history. So JFK is elected in 1960. The Bay of Pig, Pigs happens very early on, which is where the CIA planned and orchestrated an invasion of Cuba using Cuban exiles and what President Kennedy found out, and this is also not a conspiracy theory, that the CIA tried to manipulate him into sending in the military once they were already there. Because the CIA, like we saw in Guatemala, where they kind of faked how strong their Liberation Army was, and they kind of told JFK, hey, we're going to send these people here, and the people will rise up against Fidel because they actually hate him. And no, that wasn't the case. He was extremely popular with mm. the people. And so when they get there, they realize, JFK realizes that the Joint Chiefs and the CIA have lied to him about this. Then he... And he was in office like four months at that point. Yes, very early on. It was a politically a disaster for him. And then he fires Alan Dulles and says that he is going to split the CIA into a thousand pieces. And he starts forming coalitions with more left-leading people. Because prior to um, him being elected president, he was a pretty central centrist Cold War liberal, which what I mean by that is he he said some good things about civil rights, but he was pro-business, he was pro-America, he was anti-Russia, anti-Castro. He was a pretty central centrist figure. He started making, after the Bay of Pigs, um, and even more so at, later on where, that we're going to talk about, he started forming coalitions with people uh, who were more left-leaning. You think this is just a, like the pendulum swing because of the influences and tensions he, were, he was coming up against in office? Yes, I do think so. I think that he was one of the few presidents that we've actually gotten to, to push leftward um, because of events that were happening. And I think his own, I think he was kind of just a little bit of a naive guy when he went got mm -hmm. into office. And I don't mean that like he was... You mean in naive in a way like you want your politician to be naive so that he can do, do good? Maybe... But I don't, I don't think he realized, no, and nobody did at the time, what the CIA was doing. Yeah. Because um, that wasn't known to, even to somebody running for president. Um, and I don't think he realized what was happening until after he was already in office. Um, and one good example is, we, this was even actually before the Bay of Pigs, when they executed Patrice Lumumba, the mm. African leader, the democratically elected president of the Congo. The CIA assisted in his assassination and I think this really upset JFK because I don't think he knew about it. Um, I think that, that you can prove that with paperwork. And there's a pretty famous picture of him like grabbing his face when he's on the phone finding out about it. Um, and really, people did not know this until an investigation we're going to talk about later on in the 70s. So back to our history timeline. Bay of Pigs happens. JFK starts leaning leftward more. 
starts moving and forming coalitions and doing very unpopular things with the military intelligence people and the Pentagon, they start to really dislike JFK. He also makes moves against the steel and the oil industries. And we're not going to get into detail about that, even though it's very complicated. Basically, he made it to where it was more fair for smaller places. It, it made imperialism harder. Mm. And it took away some of their profits. They were still incredibly profitable, but it took away some of the profits from the American Steel and oil companies, specifically a big group in Houston, which a lot of people don't realize. LBJ was from Texas, and he was an oil guy, his vice president. I so thought, he's. I thought you had to be an oil guy from Texas to be somewhere in Washington. I don't know. Yeah, I think you do. I think they proved that. <laughs> and so as he's becoming more and more popular with the people, as he's making moves on civil rights things, he's becoming less and less popular with corporate power, corporate elites, and the military elite. And so then when the Cuban Missile Crisis happens, where Russia has moved missiles into Cuba in response to us putting missiles in Turkey, I believe. Because at this point, America and Russia are the two. We're in the middle of the Cold War here. I'm sorry, not the middle. We're well into the Cold War. The best way to define the Cold War is, I'm going to put all my sources at the end of this, but I'm, I'm quoting um, Death is Just Around the Corner podcast where they do a whole JFK special. And one thing he talks about is, I'm sorry, I'm not quoting it. I'm summarizing it. He um, explains that, Really, you should think of the Cold War as a war fought everywhere except for Europe and America, because the CIA and the KGB are fighting battles all over the planet. And um, the CIA is, as we saw in Guatemala, making up battles to fight Russia so and that they can do imperialism. Now, I think for clarification, when you say it was fought everywhere but Russia and the United States, you mean like physical encounters, yes. physical fights? Yes, invasions. Like just Google Cold War Afghanistan or Cold War Iran. Like, and you see that basically, or, or you could even look at what's happening in somewhere like Ukraine, where a smaller nation is formerly Russian ally, trying to transition to a NATO ally, and is basically just getting ground down between the gears of empire. Mm. And so, because people in the American media that are telling you that America is all upset about what's happening in Ukraine and that Russia is the big bad evil, America is not upset by what is happening in Ukraine. They are very much in support of it because they don't care about Ukrainian people. They care about selling weapons and increasing oil prices. Hmm. And so we see things, so that's basically what the best way to think about the Cold War, is that it is a war that's being fought, just not in the European theater or the American theater. Um, and so, I'm sorry, the United States, I should clarify, because it was being fought in Central and South America. So the CIA, so uh, he's, he's, he's made enemies in the CIA. He fired Alan Dulles. He's threatening to break him up. He's making his own inroads to not open up his own intelligence agency. That's not what I'm saying he was doing, though you could make an argument for that. I don't know that it's a super strong one, but he is doing negotiating on the side with Fidel Castro, with Nikita Khrushchev, and working with people trying to end the Cold War. So he's trying to end the Cold War. He's disrupted two of the main industries historically for America and that support the corporate elite. And he is tilting leftward pretty quickly. And then the Cuban Missile Crisis happens where basically that he, the Joint Chiefs and the military intelligence 
along with Alan Dulles, try really hard to push him to preemptively strike Russia. Um, Russia. Yes, mm. to preemptively strike Russia because it's Russian missiles that are in Cuba. Because actually how we, we, we used to throw around the accusation of being communists and friends with Russia a lot, um, but Fidel Castro was actually friends with the Soviets. I don't think he wanted to make a relationship with them long term because their brands of communism are very different. Mm. Kind of any port in a storm, really, because they didn't have anyone else and they would not have survived without that because America was trying to cut them off from being in any way successful. The um, embargo, right? Yes, like, yes, yeah. and all this stuff. So as publicly they're all fighting privately, JFK is negotiating with Fidel Castro, Nikita Khrushchev, um, because Nikita Khrushchev is also dealing with right-wing forces in his own government that are trying to cause a war with America as well. And during the Cuban Missile Crisis, famously, the Joint Chiefs and the military intelligence tried very hard to get JFK to use nuclear weapons against Russia, um, which would have been catastrophic yeah, for humanity. Absolutely. We would be all dead if mm -hmm. we'd listened to him, mm -hmm. if we if JFK had not been strong. Because, I mean, this sounds kind of impossible, but if you think about what's going on with climate change right now, how people are just like, how politicians and military intelligence people just outright deny that it's even an issue, even though the scientific community is pretty unified on the fact that it is an issue. So anyway, but, but it's, it's kind of similar to that. But wasn't that whole like mutual destruction thing already in place during the Cold War at that yes, time? Yes, yes, it was. The so doctrine the, of mutual destruction. Right. It's either they were just unhinged enough to think that nuclear war is winnable by anyone, because it's not. It's not winnable. But I, I don't know if they thought we would invent something kind of like they're doing. I mean, it's kind of like what they do with the climate crisis, how they invest in people like Elon Musk and all these guys that are not, I don't know, that they do a lot of washing for the state where they mm -hmm. act like they can I wonder if there was ego in involved too. They're like, you know, we're the United States and our stuff is better. I, I, I would hope that they would use, you know, fact-based yeah. analysis, but then hope. again. Okay, so people are, people are responding to the Cold War already in the media at this point. We're seeing things like Dr. Strangelove, Seven Days in May, where people talk about unhinged people that lead our military, our high-level military intelligence people that do not think that nuclear war with Russia is a world-ending event, even though scientifically and by any standard that you want to look at, it is. It's a, it's a world killer. We have world killer weaponry in this country and mm -hmm. at this time Russia did too in and the just 60s in the 60s Let's sit on that for a minute <laughs> and JFK found out through the Cuban Missile Crisis they had been lying to him a lot about how many missiles Russia had the CIA had been lying to yes him? the CIA yeah. had and the military and um, the Joint Chiefs had been lying to him about the nuclear capabilities that Russia had because what they kind of sold to him and to the American people is that Russia, yeah, Russia has a lot more weapons than they actually did yeah. whereas the United States had even when, so when we were overproducing and increasing our military spending, it was really for no other reason. It was just based on lies, which we've talked about many times on this podcast. And so here we see JFK moving even further left, forming peace coalitions. And we're going to do a little side note and introduce Bobby. Bobby Kennedy is, of course, JFK's brother, his younger brother. He is his attorney general. He is young, 
handsome, strong sense of justice, staunchly anti-communist, mm -hmm. especially in the beginning of the Kennedy administration. So I think that's why the CIA and the Joint Chiefs could have such, if you say things like, well, why didn't they just, why didn't they just arrest them all? And it's like, well, their, their disagreements with them were on a few very specific things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, and I don't want to be one of those people that acts like that JFK and Robert Kennedy are some like secret communist heroes. They're not. Uh, they, no, I do think they were tracking left. And I think you can prove that, especially once Bobby starts running for president after JFK is assassinated, really starts moving leftward. But at this time, relationships with Russia and Castro, I don't want to make it seem like that they're good friends because they're not, but they ha he did open up communications. Same thing that we saw in um, where he was making connections in Southeast Asia with the Indonesian president, Sukarno, that the CIA ended up overthrowing and after Kennedy's death. And we saw him making coalitions with African leaders and Bobby doing the same thing and Bobby supporting that. Bobby got his start by going after the mafia. He and Jimmy Hoffa were longtime enemies kind of turned a little bit frenemies there at the end, which I really think is special. Jimmy Hoffa was the first person that Bobby, when they called Bobby to tell him that JFK had been shot, his first question was, was it Hoffa mm -hmm. that did it? Because I think he knew they realized as part of when they were opening up relationships with Castro, that the CIA and military intelligence were working with exiles from countries that they tried to overthrow that were usually very right-wing leaning people. And like they did in Guatemala, like we talked about last time, and they were, uh, the CIA was working with the mafia a lot. So, but none of this was public knowledge at the time. Okay, now we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald was a troubled young man that had a rough upbringing by a single mom in New York, uh, when he was about 13, I think, he was seeing a psychiatrist, realized later was a doctor that was part of the MK Ultra program. This is the CIA's manufactured killer Manchurian candidate program where they used drugs and things. And we know Alan Dulles was absolutely obsessed with creating mind control, mm -hmm. uh, specifically for assassinations. And Lee Harvey Oswald is known to have contact with this doctor at the age of 13. He joined the military at 17. He had a very promising start in the military. Kind of his portrayal as a bumbling communist, that comes later. That hasn't started yet. Um, he has a promising start. He goes to Japan. This base is a really important base for the CIA and is where they run their U-2 spy pro plane program, which was very important. He had top secret clearance at the time. And it is theorized that this is when his relationship with the CIA started. Um, he begins to often and loudly proclaim that he is a communist. And this starts after he is in contact with the CIA. And he tries and fails to get medical release from the military by shooting himself. He tries to get a release after he gets in a fight with a superior officer. And because it's the height of the Cold War, starts loudly saying he's a communist. There are several places documented where it's easy to find for him to say that. That's also not a conspiracy theory. So he starts telling everybody that he's a communist. He tries and fails again to get released, but then finally gets released from the military when he says that he needs to pay for his mother's care or take care of his mother for an illness that she did not have. It's bizarre. So then he defects to Russia, uh, which is also not a conspiracy theory. This was in 
the first investigation that they did in JFK's, into JFK's death called the Warren Commission. He defects to Russia, supposedly gives them information about the U-2 spy planes. Hmm. But when he gets to Russia, he is treated with suspicion because they realize this guy is probably a CIA plant. Because he's got a military background and has all this contact. And it was very suspicious how he got there. Um, The flights he took were military flights. And it was pretty obvious. Um, He got his papers pushed through the State Department really quickly. Hmm. Just some really bizarre things happened. There was actually a State Department employee that tried very loudly to say something is going on with this guy. He got his... A U.S. State employee? Yes. He tried to say, this is very suspicious. And the way that this paperwork is being moved through and the fact that this guy came back without any consequences, they fired him about two weeks before the JFK assassination. And then um, I think it was after the assassination, he was uh, followed by the FBI for years. The Russian government treats him with suspicion. They kind of set him up with a job. He marries Marina Oswald, whose father, I think, was a KGB agent. Um, And so probably some kind of, their marriage was probably not a above the board real love story. He begins his time in Russia by working at a toy factory, stays there for a short amount of time, and then at the height of the Cold War, comes back with zero issue after defecting to Russia, um, which is unheard of. It's so unusual. So he, anyway, he comes back to the United States. He begins his friendship with a man called George DeMorenschild. George DeMorenschild is a CIA asset. And what do I mean by asset? The CIA had a ton of people, like we've mentioned previously, that would work for them. They didn't work in the, in the CIA building, and they didn't draw like a paycheck from the CIA but they worked with the CIA. He worked with the CIA in Haiti. He was an oil guy. He had a relationship with Alan Dulles and with George H.W. Bush. Um, he must have been an oil guy from Texas. He was, he was a Russian oil guy. Uh-huh. Um, he was a, what they call a white Russian, which is a bunch of rich people that had to leave that were terrible. Their families were incredibly oppressive in the Russian government before and then ended up having to leave after the revolution with sometimes with their wealth intact. And so he was a wealthy. He came from wealth. But he was definitely looking for money. And so he did a lot of stuff with the CIA. And he started a relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. He testified that he met with Lee Harvey Oswald because the CIA told him to. He is on record saying that. And he only, and it, their relationship would make no sense otherwise. And so it was an asset. And he was to move, he was moving. He ended up being the reason that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald moved to Dallas. And then when Lee Harvey Oswald got to Dallas, he formed a relationship with a couple named the Paines, um, who it's also pretty pretty clear that they were intelligence assets as well. But Harvey was potentially an intelligence asset as well for the CIA before this. Yes. So this was just them linking up other assets together. Yes. Well, and I don't think the CIA knew what they were going to do with him. I think he just worked for them. Like, I don't think that that this was the plan from the beginning to get him to kill the president. He was just a CIA asset, just like George DeMornschild was. Uh And he ended up being the patsy, but there were several other plots that if this one fell through. However, so he's a CIA asset. He moves to, he is in relationship with several other known CIA assets. And George DeMornschild being a CIA asset is not a conspiracy theory. Yeah, Um, it's on his, it's like the second line on his information page. Yeah, and so he ended up, being really close with Lee Harvey Oswald was the reason he moved to Dallas. Then after he moved to Dallas, 
they did not speak again because I think that they had already placed him. His, I think he, I think Lee Harvey Oswald only lived in Dallas for like seven months or something. He wasn't there long. Um, then he meets with the Paynes. The Paynes are also pretty clear that they're intelligence assets, and they get Lee Harvey Oswald the job at the book depository. The book depository itself is owned by a guy that made a ton of money in the Vietnam War. Oh, that's another thing we need to talk about. So not only was he ending the Cold War, um, he was also pushing to end America's involvement in Vietnam, which a lot of people were pretty mad about because it was making some very important people a lot of money. So we kind of know the who and the why, like we said, ending the Cold War, ending Vietnam, changing imperialism, breaking up the CIA, potentially getting rid of Lyndon B. Johnson when he was going to run in 64, and what the military intelligence realizes with JFK as he's moving more towards peace and becoming incredibly popular, they realize we're going to have this guy for eight years. And Bobby is also becoming very popular. And he was also a household name at this point. And so realizing, I think, that they're looking at a 16-year dynasty plus Ted, which we will get to why. Well, actually, I don't know why. We will get to something interesting about Ted Kennedy. But I've read six books about JFK's assassination and his relationship with Bobby and I think Ted Kennedy's name has been mentioned twice. Hmm. They just don't talk about him at all. And I don't know if it's because he was so much younger, but I, he wasn't that much. He, I think he was already a senator at the time, but I can't remember if that's for sure, but we'll look at that. So we know the who, we know the why. Now we're going to look at the how. <laughs> and so this part, just so you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you an example of a fact. Okay. So two weeks before the JFK assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald met with a high-level known CIA agent named David Atlee Phillips. I'm going to say that fact or facts like that. Um, and a lot of people are saying, well, where's your, what's your source on this? Because... Somebody that worked for the mafia in one of the JFK assassination investigations, he uh, said he would testify that he was working, he was a CIA asset in the 60s, he was working with David Atlee Phillips, who he knew as Maurice Bishop, and Maurice Bishop met with Lee Harvey Oswald. He was going to testify to that fact before he was shot in the head, survived that assassination <laughs> attempt and then said he will no longer testify that Maurice Bishop is David Atlee Phillips, but the investigator that was trying to get him to testify actually proved it a different way. And so it's really convoluted, but it doesn't mean it's, it's complicated, but it doesn't mean it's not true. However, that, it, you can't Google, did Lee Harvey Oswald meet with a CIA agent? You can't Google that. Or if you do Google that, you won't get anything. You have to Google, is David Atlee Phillips Maurice Bishop? Who is Maurice Bishop? And then you have to learn about the... I think Bianchani is the mafia guy that ended up testifying. Anyway, you have to know those names, and you have to know the name Gate and Fonzie, who was the investigator for the House subcommittee that was going, that where he was going to testify. And so, anyway, this is, so this stuff is going to be hard. But like I said, if you want to look into my sources, I will post them. They're just all really long, and most of them are books. And a lot of people, thing a lot of people say is, what about warnings? How, how come, if this was such a convoluted plot involving so many people, why didn't somebody talk? And they did. 
There were mirror plots in Chicago and Tampa that also occurred earlier in that month, in the month of November, that involved lone military figures, Cuban exiles, a motorcade, threat changes to the plan, and JFK ended up canceling both of those trips. I'm sorry. I think he went to Tampa but didn't do the motorcade or something. But there were mirror, they found out there were mirror plots there. Um, that is also not a conspiracy theory. That is known information. With the same people? Sorry, not the same people, the same types of people. CIA assets and Cuban exiles, mafia people, so you're saying and lone military figures. There's, there were potentially like Lee Harvey Oswald and other people in each of those other cities. Yes, specifically. Oh, man. If you do Google those things, those are pretty Googleable. Um, so if you learn about those, it's very interesting how similar the plots were. Um, many people in JFK's inner circle, including Nikita Khrushchev himself, warned JFK about the right-wing forces in his government trying to assassinate him. Several people warned him specifically about Dallas because of the oil money there and where he was going to be in the motorcade. Mm-hmm. Um, was very, The way that... that it was set up was very suspicious. The night on November 20th, two days before the assassination, was Robert Kennedy's birthday party. He actually, at the end of the night, asked his brother, he said, don't go to Dallas. I'm scared that something's going to happen. And that was the last time that they actually saw each other. Several times, John Kennedy stated to the press, to friends, and to his enemies that he thought he was going to be assassinated. He told Fidel Castro and Nikita Khrushchev on the record that he was worried that the right-wing forces in his own government were going to assassinate him. With his own government. Mm-hmm. Like, he told the he, two communist leaders yes. that he was afraid his own government was going to assassinate him. Yes. Man. And the why was specific, too, that he was ending the Cold War, that he was making, he was trying to push for peace and trying to at least not end imperialism. I think that's a little too generous. I think he was, I think he was trying to at least soften imperialism a little bit and even that was too much three days before the assassination a young woman was found unconscious on the road named rose Sheremy. she worked for jack ruby Uh, she told louisiana state police that two men that worked for jack ruby had told her they were involved in a plot to kill jfk and she specifically mentioned lee harvey oswald they decided that she was a drug addict when was this How, how three three days before the assassination where was she picked up louisiana which is close to Dallas. Yeah. Oh, Which is where Ruby's, Jack Ruby's club was. Who will get oh, to? Okay. You're saying. An unknown person called the FBI the night before the assassination and warned them specifically. It really looks like that the CIA and the FBI were working in tandem on this because Lee Harvey Oswald was also an informant for the FBI briefly. And there is a story about one of Robert Kennedy's kind of private intelligence assets called him and said, we're here, we're doing this stuff with the Cuban organizations, and there's this really suspicious guy, and we were going to kill him mm. um, <laughs> because we didn't know what else to do. Um, and that's kind of what intelligence people do. Uh, so I he was like, so. we were going to kill this guy. Uh, his name's Lee Harvey Oswald, but the FBI called us and told us not to, so we didn't. Is that okay? And Robert was like, I don't know who that is. And this was before the assassination. Oh, man. And then an unknown person called the Cambridge News in London and told them to reach out to the American embassy because there was going to be big news in about 20 minutes. This was about 20 minutes before the assassination. Holy smokes. Yeah. So Lee Harvey Oswald was known to the government. He was a known intelligence agent. He met with many intelligence agents. Do you think, do you think that could have been leaked by people within the CIA who wanted to either, like— cast doubt or do this kind of cloak and dagger thing or do you think these were just 
people had heard and were really genuinely concerned. What are your thoughts on that? So there are some really beautiful stories about people, which we'll get to later when we talk about how they tied up a lot of loose ends, Mm -hmm. people that worked for the CIA or the FBI or were assets who seemed to really try to prevent this from happening um, or at least tell what they knew afterward. Some really, some really interesting stories where people, I think, really did try. Because he was very popular at this right, time, right. especially with the people. Um, well, it sounds like he's doing everything that the people would want, you know, peace and security and safety mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, aside from the fact that it goes against interest of big corporations mm-hmm. and money-making things. But yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're going to get to Dallas. Uh, High noon in Dallas is what I've titled this section, and I really liked that, so I was just going to say it. Day of the assassination, there was a lot of changes in the way the the Secret Service normally operates and how they were pulled off the car and how the route was changed. It's all very suspicious. Putting in that hairpin turn where he seems to pause, the car seems to pause. Initially, it was reported that he was... The president was shot. Nobody really knew what was happening. There was chaos, but a lot of the people that were on the ground that day testified that they heard multiple shots from different directions. Mm. Um, this is the grassy knoll theory that people talk about. Um, so it was, there was mass confusion. There was a ton of people on the ground that had paperwork stating that they worked for the Secret Service that should not have been there. Uh, it was very suspicious. Those were probably CIA people mm. or FBI assets of some kind where they chase Lee Harvey Oswald into a theater. When he gets to the theater, it really looks like he's trying to meet somebody there. I think he still thinks that he's undercover. Mm -hmm. I don't think he realized what was happening until he got arrested. He's blamed for killing a police officer when he was running from the book depository to the theater uh, named John Tippett. I don't know that he actually killed that guy. Another interesting fact about the day of the assassination is that Alan Dulles was in a secure CIA facility on the day of the assassination. But didn't he, he didn't work for the CIA at that didn't, point. Didn't work for the CIA at that point. So it's a little bizarre. Oh, that's interesting. And the morning of the assassination, LBJ, Nixon, George H.W. Bush, all three were in Dallas hmm. that day, um, which is just interesting. And so then Lee Harvey Oswald gets arrested They start collecting forensic evidence. The forensic evidence that we're going to get to here in a second was very, saying it's mishandled. It's not even, gunpowder residue was not found on Lee Harvey Oswald where it should have been. Mm. The gun placement and the gun supposedly used are very suspicious. There was multiple different types of bullet casings that were kind of just placed around the gun. It was very bizarre scene. Like spent bullets? mm -hmm. Different calibers. But I but think I think there were two different one ones. Shot or what? I Supposedly, th- the Warren Commission. It kind of it kind of varies. Basically, what the Warren Commission ends up saying is that Lee Harvey Oswald shot three times, mm-hmm. and that one bullet hit what it was supposed to, and it's explaining seven different wounds. Because not only was JFK shot a couple of times, Conley, the other the governor that was in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, was also shot in the Hmm. chest. Um, And if you watch the Subruder film, which I would not recommend, we're going to talk about why it's controversial here in a second, but uh, there's no reason to watch it. It's just horrific. You can see Jackie Kennedy crawl to the back of the car and get part of his skull and come and put it back Hmm. on him. Um, Because originally they were, the Warren commission said he was shot from 
behind, mm -hmm. which was where Lee Harvey Oswald was. But it's very, the Zapruder film wasn't released until the second investigation into his death, Jim Garrison's investigation that we will talk about in a second. But he, it, it's very obvious that he was shot from the front. And then his, when they take him to Parkland Hospital, the autopsy photos don't match mm -hmm. the wounds. You can also see on the Zapruder film that he's shot in the, th in the neck first and he grabs his neck. And then you can see his head fly backwards because he's, anyway, he's shot from the front. It's very, mm. it's, I mean, I don't know anything about assassinations and it's obvious to me. And Lee Harvey Oswald was positioned behind him. Yes. Oh. And okay. so, well, he was above and to the side, yeah. I think. And a lot of people, there's a lot of people that if you get online, this is where the bulk of people stay is the day of in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, and they talk, there's, I mean, you can find entire you know, 10 part podcasts or long books about the, just those, that very brief snapshot in Dallas, mm -hmm. um, and how controversial a lot of the narrative that we have decided is true. So, and there's people that are really into that. We'll talk about that some in a little bit. Um, so just a lot of suspicious circumstances. I also want to point out for a reason that we will say later, Nixon at the time was speaking at a Pepsi convention in Dallas. So just remember that. Uh, so then Lee Harvey Oswald's arrested. A lot of suspicious things happen. Now we're going to introduce Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby is the guy that shot Lee Harvey Oswald on live television. He was, he had strong mafia ties. He was a nightclub owner, had a long history with the CIA. Thinking of him, he, he didn't, I don't think, the way he's described in most of the sources I'm going to post, he was more of a liaison between intelligence officers, the police, and the mafia because he worked at a nightclub and he was basically like a human trafficker. He was a pimp. Mm. And so his activities were pretty useful to both the police, the mafia and military intelligence. And so really looks like he was a CIA asset before he killed Lee Harvey Oswald. He had a big history with the Teamsters too. Like he was the only witness in a room when some high level guy was killed. That is the reason that Anyway, we don't have time to get in that. He was seen at the hospital, at Parkland Hospital, by a reporter that knew him and came up to him and said, Jack, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I'm just going to see the president, mm. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, and then he was seen at a press conference the day before he shot Lee Harvey Oswald. And then Jim Coth and Bill Hunter are two Dallas reporters, are two reporters, only one of them was from Dallas, that um, visit Jack Ruby and start an investigation and Dorothy Kilgallen is another reporter and gossip columnist. She is the one who um, had done a bunch of research on Marilyn Monroe and thought her su suicide was very suspicious. She also interviews Jack Ruby while he's one of the few people to ever interview him. And in her investigation, she finds connections with CIA agents and the police officer killed. It's it's bizarre. Hmm. Um, he is also seen by Dr. Jolin West, which is a famous MK Ultra doctor, who is the one who declares Jack Ruby insane. Okay, so the first investigation, so then Jack Ruby shoots Lee Harvey Oswald on national television. Lee Harvey Oswald's last words were, I am a patsy, hmm. <laughs> which is a little bit on the nose. The Warren Commission starts in 1963, 63 to 64. It is overseen by Alan Dulles himself, which is extremely suspicious. The Warren Commission was definitely long and... There is a lot of material out there that they went through, but there's also a lot of things that were ignored by the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission is still the one that pretty much sets the narrative for what most Americans believe about the JFK assassination. And basically, the results of the Warren Commission said Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone communist nut that acted alone 
And then also Jack Ruby was a lone, insane person. Mob guy. Mob guy. For, and actually, they did not get into his mob ties at all in the Warren Commission. That was completely left out. He, he, he was just acting out of a love for America. So he killed Lee Harvey Oswald. And mm. that's it. That there was two lone nuts and they were hanging in the wind together. I don't know. Anyway. And that's so. what it was. That's, that's how the president and his assassinator went down. Yes. Okay. And it, it was so it's ni- nice wrapped up little package. Alan Dulles says, look, CIA is going to keep doing their thing. We're doing great. Everybody's happy. Buy our weapons. Buy our weapons. Uh, LBJ reverses most of the inroads that JFK had made as far as ending the Cold War and ending our American involvement in Vietnam. And everything gets back on track for America to run its war economy. Yeah. Military so, industrial complex. There you go. And so it was all tied up. However, left out of the Warren Commission was the forensic, all the forensic stuff we talked about in Dallas, the, the bullets, the gun, right. all that stuff, the fingerprints, none of that matches up. Um, that was left out of the Warren Commission. They do not explore why that happened. A young man named Gerald Ford came up with the magic bullet theory where one bullet basically explains seven different wounds and is physically impossible. This... In, what people have to understand is the Warren Commission subpoenaed the Zapruder film and made it like they, they suppressed it. The guy who owned Time Magazine, I think, is the one that bought it initially and then gave a copy to the CIA or to military intelligence and then didn't allow it to be seen. So Americans had not seen the Zapruder film at this point. The forensics didn't match up. The fact that the CIA was carrying out assassinations, working with exiles and Mafia members was also not known by the public and was completely ignored by the Warren Commission. And the history of being a CIA and FBI asset for Lee Harvey Oswald and a CIA asset for Jack Ruby and his mafia connections, none of that was explored. There are a lot of people that tried really hard to get those topics looked at, and they were basically lied to. They were told, this is going to be in the report. This is going to be in the commission. We're going to look into this. And then it just wasn't. And so very powerful people made sure that the Warren Commission did not do a great job. Then in 1966, a guy named Jim Garrison started an investigation into JFK's assassination. This is what uh, Oliver Stone's JFK movie is about. If you know nothing about the JFK assassination, that movie is a great place to start. It docked many, much information that we have about the JFK assassination, when it was theorized in that movie in the 90s, ended up getting proven because of record, the JFK Records Act or whatever it's called, that where they had to, where they forced the government to release some things. Anyway, this uh, investigation is also how we get the Zapruder film hmm. and where we start seeing evidence that not only are things not being left out, because with the Warren Commission, a lot of people call it the Warren Omission. They're being funny because so, it just omits a lot of things. But yeah. with the Jim Garrison investigation, we actually see people that he was trying to contact and interview turning up dead, such as dead. Yes. Oh, man. Such as known CIA ties and things like that. David Ferry um, is a character in the movie that ends up dying. Guy Bannister is another guy. Eladio Duvalier is another guy that he wanted to interview that all end up dead. Before um, he had a chance to interview them. Yes. And in many cases, well, I think I think David Ferry died. He was a known CIA agent. So David Ferry was a bizarre character. He worked for the CIA. He was a pilot. 
for the U-2 spy plane program, and it gave him severe alopecia. And so he did not have hair or eyebrows, and he would paint on his eyebrows, and he wore homemade red wigs. He was an interesting fellow. Joe Pesci plays him in the 1991 movie. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So uh, the Garrison investigation, the trial is in 1969, because he's a district attorney, so he charges a guy that he accuses this intelligence agent named Clay Shaw of being involved. Um, at the time, it was not even known publicly that he was a CIA agent. That came out later. I think it came out after even the 91 film about this investigation. And then we see the church committee happen in 75. This is more of a general investigation into the CIA, but they do have a subcommittee that focuses on the JFK assassination specifically and other CIA assassination plots. Much of the information that we have on the JFK assassination comes from this investigation. So we see this, it's over a decade later. People are kind of, when you ask people publicly about the JFK assassination, nobody believes what the Warren Commission had to say, but so much time has passed that it's almost an information fatigue at this point with the American public. And then in the church committee, we see all this stuff that people that were thought before to be insane when they would say things like, the CIA is working with the mafia. The CIA is killing people in other countries. Like the American public did not know this mm -hmm. until the church committee, which is still seen as one of the darkest times in CIA history because the American public found out what they'd been doing. All their dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. And so the people that had accused, so the people that had the JFK conspiracies suddenly didn't seem so off base mm. with their accusations. And so we find out the CIA is working with the mafia. We find out the CIA has guns that can induce heart attacks. Um, <laughs> All kinds of assassination-type weapons that they use, poisons. Um, a lot of stuff comes out about the MK Ultra program. A lot of stuff comes out about specifically with their relationship with Castro and some of the activities that they are doing throughout the world. Gayton Fonzie is the lead investigator for the House Subcommittee on Assassinations, and he is the one who goes specifically to try and interview people and convince people to testify. He's the guy that Antonio Vesciani, I think is how you say his name, Becciani was the guy that was talking to Gate and Fonzie and is the one who said Maurice Bishop was David Atlee Phillips, a CIA agent who then met with Lee Harvey Oswald two weeks prior to the assassination. So what we see is a lot of these connections that people have been claiming for over a decade are coming to light and we're seeing, oh yeah, maybe those guys weren't so off base with their wild accusations. But even with these three investigations that we see, a lot of people say, well, these people would, who these people would start talking and a lot of people did. So we're going to talk about one of the more compelling arguments, I think, mm -hmm. in that people talk about with this assassination, some of the loose ends that they, that the government it looks like was involved in killing people to specifically cover up this, this list. I have added to it a little bit, but m the bulk of this list I'm reading from uh, Spartacus educational, which is a fantastic resource for anybody that wants to know more about the I'll link it in the show notes. Grant Stockdale was a longtime Kennedy associate and military guy. He worked with Kennedy for years, uh, knew, the, knew them very well. He was embroiled in a scandal that involved LBJ, and it looked like that the Kennedys were planning to not put LG, uh, uh, not run again with him as vice president, which was, which was a big deal. Um, after the assassination, Grant began to tell people that he knew information about who had killed Kennedy and that they were coming after him. He tried to tell Bobby Kennedy about it. He was pushed or fell from a, on December 2nd, 1963 from the DuPont building in Miami. Hmm. Um, and if you know anything about the JFK conspiracy, you know that what DuPont and their connection with Cuba, that's very suspicious. Anyway, 
that corporate power. Gary Underhill was an OSS guy, former CIA guy, had a longtime Kennedy relationship. He tried to tell people that the CIA was responsible for killing Kennedy. An exact quote from him is, Oswald is a patsy. They set him up. It's too much. The bastards have done something outrageous. They've killed the president. I've been listening and hearing things. I couldn't believe they'd get away with it, but they did. He was found dead on May 8, 1964, with a gunshot wound located behind his left ear, despite the fact that he was right-handed. The police said it looked like an execution. His death was ruled a suicide. April 23, 1964, I don't know if you remember the two reporters that I brought up that specifically went in to interview Jack Ruby, Bill Hunter, and Jim Goth. April 23, 1964, Hunter was accidentally killed by a police officer that ended up being very suspicious. They got caught lying about it. It was very bizarre. Earlier, I'm sorry, later that year in September, Jim Coth was killed um, by an unknown assailant. The police determined that he died by a single karate chop to the throat. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, single karate chop. Like that. Uh, Mary Meyer was a longtime lover of JFK. She was kind of involved in his secret intelligence. She was facilitating meetings with him and was trying to, it looked like she was involved in some of his secret inroads with Nikita Khrushchev specifically. She was shot and killed October of 1964. Her ex-husband was a high-level CIA agent and another CIA agent named Jim Angleton, who was also a pretty famous CIA agent, tried to break into her estate at least twice that the family knew of because they caught him there. Lisa Howard is another former JFK associate that was found dead in a parking lot in 1965 uh, where she took a medication she was not prescribed called phenobarbital. It's for seizures, and she did not have those. Uh, Rose Sheremy, the lady that we talked about that was found unconscious, uh, she was found dead um, in September of 1965 because she really wouldn't let go her accusations that she knew that this was going to happen beforehand. So in 1965, her body was run over by a car, mm. and then it was Again? thought... It was thought that she was killed by the car, yeah. but then when they did the autopsy on her body, it was found that she was shot beforehand. Oh. And so she was dead when she was on the road, so that murder was never solved. Dorothy Kilgallen, the reporter that we talked about earlier, was found dead in November of 1965. In the days leading up to her death, she had told friends that, because Bill Coth, or I mean, I'm sorry, Bill Hunter and Jim Coth are dead at this point. Mm -hmm. And so she knows about that, and she has told people that she has information to blow this case out of the water, that it involves Marilyn Monroe, that it involves the CIA, um, that she's going to blow the lid off the Kennedy assassination. And after talking, and she's, the, remember, she's the one that specifically interviewed Jack Ruby also. She, I think because the other reporters had already died suspiciously, she gave all of her papers to another female reporter who was then found dead two days after she was found dead. What? <laughs> so that's super suspicious her papers were never found the other the lady that she gave to was margaret florence smith she died two days later of a mysterious illness at 48 how did dorothy die dorothy od'd on also on medication that she was not prescribed and she was sitting up in a chair had all her clothes on didn't write a like it was it it didn't look like a suicide very suspicious and she uh, and her, it was obvious that her room had been searched and her papers were gone and they never did find her information. So it's not known what happened in her interview with Jack Ruby hmm. or what information she had. Two young women that were roommates and also White House staffers that had sort of broken the story to Bobby about some of the LBJ controversy stuff and had information that he was not going to be running as vice president. Both died in suspicious circumstances, one in a plane crash and one in... Um, 
was the girl that was found in Ted Kennedy's car mm. in the Chappaquiddick Bay, really, Good Lord. in 1960, I think that was 67. Some body counts getting high. Yeah. <laughs> that was 1969. I'm sorry, she was found in Ted's car in 1969. Good gracious. Guy Bannister, the, gar- the garrison investigation guy, David Ferry, Eladio Devalier, was a Cuban exile with intelligence ties. All of them were murdered suspiciously. Actually, I think David Ferry, I think he OD'd. You know, I think it's a murder rate. The general population murder rate reflected that of those involved in that. There'd be a whole lot more. Yeah, don't dead don't be a CIA agent. It's not safe yeah. <laughs> or an, or an asset. asset. <laughs> Actually, if you're going to be one, just make sure you're you work at the building. Then right. it's harder for them to well, unalive you. Roger Craig was a Dallas police officer that refused to change his testimony about the gun forensic stuff that we talked about earlier, even though everybody else pretty much got in line and said what the Warren Commission wanted them to say. Roger Craig refused and told anyone who would listen that there was something going on. In 1967, he went to be a witness at the trial of Clay Shaw, Jim Garrison's investigation. Later that year, he was shot while walking to a car park. The bullet ended up missing vital parts, so he survived. Uh, 1973, his car was run off the road. Uh, he was badly injured in an explosion in 74. following year, he was seriously wounded, but still survived. Craig told friends that the mafia had decided to kill him, and he was found dead on May 15, 1975, right as the House subcommittee stuff was really starting to take off. So, um, And that's why you see, you, if you look at the dates of yeah. when people were killed, they coincide with the investigations. three investigations that were done. And so Abraham Bolden, he was oh. the first African-American Secret Service officer. He had actually quit because a lot of the Secret Service guys, he felt, were doing dangerous things that did not protect the president. A lot of them were former military guys, and he did not trust them. And he tried very hard to talk to the FBI and to testify about the mirror plot in Chicago that we discussed earlier. And he was arrested on some trumped-up charges that ended up involving the Giancana crime family um, and the three mafia guys that were involved in getting him arrested and charged. All three were murdered very suspiciously in 73 and 75. And Abraham spent six years in jail, in prison, for a crime that was he did not commit just because he wanted to talk about this. And then the biggest loose, di- loose end of all, I think, Bobby Kennedy. Publicly, he kept his cards pretty close about the Warren Commission, though he never publicly supported it. He made known to friends and family and political backers that when he became president that he was going to reopen an investigation into his brother's death, but that he had to get elected first. Mm-hmm. Um, it was too dangerous to do before he was elected. He also started to track left. I told anyone who would listen this story about him flying into Cape Town, South Africa at the height of apartheid and asked a bunch of white supremacists if they'd considered that God might be black. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then they tried to push him into a lagoon. No, yeah. they, they didn't, <laughs> but they thought about it. His campaign became very popular. It was very clear that he was going to be a political force to be reckoned with. He had a relationship with Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King was also assassinated. That was also investigated as part of the House subcommittee. We don't have time to get into that. In 68, his campaign was doing really well. He won California. Uh, He won the California primary. That night, he was doing a meet and greet in the kitchen um, after he'd given several political speeches. Uh, He was shot and killed. A man named Sirhan Sirhan was blamed for Mm -hmm. his death, though testimony of witnesses in the room completely contradict where Sirhan Sirhan was standing. He was actually shot from behind, and Sirhan Sirhan was in front of him. Twelve bullets were fired, and Sirhan's gun didn't hold 12 bullets. The only other person in the room with a gun was standing behind Robert Kennedy and was a known anti-Kennedy guy. He was a, a security officer. 
very suspicious. Um, security for the hotel or I, security I don't for... remember if he was a, who he worked. I, I, I do think he worked for the hotel. Yeah. I think that is true. And that may not, but he was never investigated. They never tested him to see if the gun was fired, despite the fact that he, it looks like he was probably the one that fired the shots. Okay, so this is a little confusing. The Brothers, which I told you about a Dulles Brothers book. Um, I recommended two books about the Dulles Brothers, The Devil's Chessboard and a book called Brothers. The guy who wrote Devil's Chessboard wrote another book called The Brothers that's about the Kennedy Brothers. So it's a little confusing, but it's fabulous. It is an excellent book that talks about the relationship between RFK and JFK. And I would encourage you that if you do read that book or listen to it. I listened to it and it was a, the audiobook is fantastic. The story of Bobby Kennedy is extremely compelling and I find him more compelling than JFK even himself, which part of that I think was because he realized his brother was murdered. But anyway, his last words when they shot Ken, uh, Bobby, he fell and said, is everyone else okay? And his wife is holding him and then he says, Jack's name three times and then closes his eyes and he never woke up again. And all the people that were really, really gung-ho about solving the Kennedy assassination, most of them... The Got wind, killed. Yeah. Most of them, the wind went out of their sails when Bobby died. Because mm. I think what they realized is they've won. Mm -hmm. And so then during... So that was Bobby and that was in 69, I think. I can't remember what year that was. Anyway, so then the House subcommittee, we don't have time to get into any of these people, but there were 13, I think, or no, I'm sorry. There was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 people. Yeah, 13 people killed that were set to testify. Some notable names in this list are Sam Giancana, the mafia guy, Jimmy Hoffa, the mafia guy, and then uh, George DeMorenschilt, who we brought up originally that was the friend of Lee Harvey Oswald, started talking in the 70s. Uh, he wrote a letter to George H.W. Bush asking him, um, who was at the time the director of the CIA, asking him to help him because people were following him. He was also had a very strange relationship with the Onassis family. They knew him. Jackie grew up calling him Uncle George. Like, it's just bizarre, his mm. connections. Ended up, so he knew a lot of wealthy people, and he was reaching out to many people saying, I don't know what to do. People are following me because I'm trying to testify. Gate and Fonzie, the investigator, came to see him the day he quote-unquote committed suicide, um, where he put a shotgun in his mouth for some reason that we don't have time to get into about the way that people used to record radio programs. His suicide is recorded on an audio tape, and you can hear the door open right before he gets shot and right after he gets shot. For some inexplicable reason, nobody in the family heard the gunshot happened. The shotgun. Mm -hmm. mm. And despite the fact that they were all in the house, it was very bizarre. And it was the day that Gate and Fonzie came to see George DeMornschild was the day that he died. And he, in his pocket, he had a card from Gate and Fonzie. He had an article from a Dallas newspaper about the JFK assassination in his like breast pocket, which is so bizarre. And he had his manuscript that he was writing about his relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. And it was called, I'm a Patsy, I'm a Patsy. Mm -hmm. And so anyway... Yeah, so he, and he was also going to testify. Uh, William Sullivan is an FBI agent with ties to Cuban intelligence. Uh, he was one of six top-level FBI agents that died in a six-month period, all of which would have likely testified at the House subcommittee. CIA agents di that died before they could testify to the House subcommittee were Sheffield Edwards. He was a Castro plotter guy. 
Bill Harvey, who's also another famous CIA agent, and it was known to be in Dallas close to the assassination, died from complications in heart surgery um, in 76. He was not old. Uh, William Pauley was shot. David Morales was killed at 53. All these people are, if you look into the JFK assassination, are CIA-connected people that would have testified. John Paisley was the deputy director of the Office of Strategic Research, and he told friends before he was found dead in 1978 that he was going to blow the whistle, talk about JFK's assassination. His death was ruled a suicide, despite the fact that he was shot execution style and had weights tied to him and was found in water (laughs) (laughs) near his boat. Yeah. So basically, that's the who, the why, and the how. Because a lot of people say who, it was the deep state, the CIA, using their assets do I know who pulled the trigger? No, but plausible deniability is kind of their thing. And right. so the why, was he some, was JFK some sort of communist hero? No, but he was going to make certain important people a little bit less money. And the how, they did it and then they covered it up. Also, we need to see like why this is important. And I think it's a really nice foil, is that the right word? Where that the January 6th trials are going on right now because one point that death is just around the corner, the JFK, their JFK special that he brings up is that much of what happens on TV with politicians that are elected is largely political theater, that those people don't really matter, especially after JFK, who is president, doesn't really matter, and who is elected to office doesn't really matter because military intelligence runs the deep state. They are designed to protect the corporate elite and to defeat communism. So when I see people saying things like, we got to look at Donald Trump because he's a dangerous fascist and all this stuff, or we got to make sure that, you know, Donald Trump's an idiot, but we got to make sure that the smart fascists don't take over. Or when people see things specifically with Donald Trump, where they say all these white nationalist groups that are infiltrated by the FBI or military intelligence of some kind, the reason they're part of those fascist groups is because they are a fascist group. The CIA is a fascist organization. They're anti-democratic. They're anti-communist. And whether you dislike or like communism is irrelevant. They're incredibly anti-democratic. They're not elected. And their dealings are largely secret and kept from the public knowledge. And so whenever I see things where people say how dangerous Donald Trump is, I don't think you understand that our government has already been cooed. (laughs) And this was it. This was the coup that you should worry about, not Donald Trump's thing. He's an idiot. If the CIA wanted him to be president or whatever, he would be. It doesn't matter because he's just volatile and they don't like him. So now this is not a pro, as I've said many times, we do not like Donald Trump on this podcast. He's an idiot. (laughs) He's just, he's, anyway, it's irrelevant. And the bulk of, I listened to several podcasts that people were debating the CIA's involvement in the assassination And all they would focus, the people who did not believe in any sort of assassination attempt by the government, the people who accept the Warren Commission's conclusions, largely focus on more of the why stuff that we talked about, like that JFK wasn't going to pull out of Vietnam, that JFK wasn't making peace with Cuba and all of these things, which I'm not really sure that kind of stuff is the why to me is the, is the, though it's probably the most debatable, Mm -hmm. it's like you can't whether the why is whether those whys are actually true it doesn't make the forensic evidence better and one of the debates that i was listening to um i'll post it as well he the guy they ask six questions 
And the last two questions are, what do you think about this, all the stuff that was left out of the Warren Commission? And what do you think about the intelligence ties of Lee Harvey Oswald? And the guy that was debating the side of the state refused to answer those questions, which I was like, why would you do that? And the JFK Records Act, um, Donald Trump was supposed to release a bunch of records about JFK and did not do it. And Joe Biden was supposed to release some records initially and released all that UFO stuff instead, which was bizarre. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like just re- everybody's dead. Just yeah. release it. Tell us what you did. And a lot of people are like, why do you think this is important? And again, I don't think that JFK is some leftist hero, but I think that we, our world, I think our world would be a better place if he had lived. And I know that the world would be a better place if Bobby had been the president. And even though politically those two don't line up with me personally, I do recognize that it would be better than what we have now. Well, I think also that we have this illusion of democracy that we vote these politicians into office so that they can carry out our best interests. And, you know, we have this unified voice and of voting and et cetera, et cetera. But what you're kind of showing and stating is that it's not necessarily true. Like this illusion that we have a choice or that we are part of the decision-making process is all, that's all it is. It's just, it's just an illusion. And yet we spend all this time trashing and other countries, other Mm -hmm. people, other ideas, but we don't have the ability to see it in our own context, Mm -hmm. in our own country, in our own front front yard. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's so interesting to me that politicians will just like so loudly with their whole chest condemn Russia and China for things that, which maybe they should, I'm not saying Russia and China are good States. I don't know anything about them. Um, but my taxes don't go to them and the bulk of my taxes go to the military industrial complex here. And so I do think as Americans, we have a responsibility to actually look at what our country is doing. And a huge part of that is one of the goals of this podcast. And I do think that a little bit, especially with the next section we're going to get to, that's our last section that's very brief. This isn't, I, we make jokes a lot, but this this is serious. Like, we need to know this. Uh, people need to know this. And the JFK assassination is the one thing that universally that when I asked anybody about, no matter what their political leanings were, believed it was a conspiracy. Hmm. And we should say the conclusion of the House subcommittee that we talked about that happened in 75 concluded that JFK was killed by a conspiracy. Hmm. They don't get specific about it, but they did find that he was killed in a conspiracy. So when you, when you say the JFK conspiracy, you are quoting the government. Yeah. Probably because they didn't want to end up dead like everybody else. (laughs) They don't hide it. (laughs) they They don't hide this stuff. everything at <laughs> some good stuff I, I appreciate how you kind of like aggregated all of this information into this digestible podcast episode i think it's great too to have that just i mean you said you said the reasons why like it's as we become better citizens this this, this information helps us to be better citizens as we are more aware of what's going on in our own mm-hmm. our own country and our own government so that as we reflect and as we compare ourselves to other ones, we kind of know where we stand, so we know how we can position ourselves. So good yeah. job on that. Thanks, friend. So the CIA is a fascist organization. They did a coup, but they did it a long time ago, and they never gave it up. So there you go. Thanks for listening today. If you get a minute, we ask that you rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. It'll help us reach more people. If you like what we're doing and want to help with the research and investigation process, 
you can join our Patreon page. For as little as $5 a month, you can join others and get raw recordings, behind episode notes, and special releases not available to the public. You can find us at patreon.com slash expiration date. You can email us at expirationdatethepodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at expirationdatepodcast. Our theme music is Arrival of the Geese by Chad Crouch, graphic design by Whatever Media. This episode was expertly written by Michelle Swope and edited and produced by David McCormick. Subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.